are continuing in our summer series. We're talking about the Psalms, and um, today we're going to be talking about the, the, the best Psalm in the entire book, Psalm 37. It's the best. Uh, hands down, no debate, it's the best. I was thinking about this uh, graphic that they created, and I really like it. And so yesterday, I, it took me about a half an hour to find this. Uh, this is a tape, for those of you who don't know. The high schoolers are up north, so I don't have to explain it to you. Uh, this is a tape. And uh, this tape, I think, um, originally had like kids' songs on it until in sixth grade I stole it from my mom and I recorded radio songs over the top of it. I don't know if any of you have done that, but I did. And I used to take this, and I, so I, I'm from up north, and so we hardly got radio stations from the valley. And so I had to really work my antenna of my boom box that I got. And I'm, so I'm not kidding you, this is how I would do this. I would be lying in my bed at night with my boom box turned as low as it could go to where I could still hear it. Uh, I'm lying on my waterbed, I'm not kidding you, so this time stamps me as to how old I am, right? I'm lying on my waterbed, I've got my hands up on the record and play button, do you guys remember this? This is awesome. And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the radio, and if a song that I really love comes on, boom, I'm hitting record and play, and it's going to record my songs over the little kid songs that my mom had on this tape. And they do this all the time. And then you would hope that another good song came on after and the DJ didn't talk in between because you didn't want that and you couldn't, like you literally couldn't edit it out. And so I'd sit there with my hand on the stop button, you know, and I'd do this late into the night. And this tape is filled with nostalgia for me because there's all these songs, let me read, I made these labels myself. The Foo Fighters, The Wallflowers, Adam Sandler, Smashing Pumpkins, Smash Mouth, R.E.M., all the good stuff, the best music from the creation of man, the 1990s, uh, no argument. And these are filled with nostalgia for me, and, and it's, so, it's such trash to listen to today because the first three seconds of every song isn't there, right? And you, you hear this, and then it gets into the song, and then the endings are all messed up. And I can't, for the life of me, hear any of the songs from this tape without hearing those weird edits that I made when I was 12 years old. It's nostalgic. It's good. It's soundtrack of my life. And when Steve asked me to preach on uh, the Psalms, and he said, what's your favorite psalm? This is my favorite psalm. And honestly, I thought about not preaching about it because it's, it's really important to me. And I thought, I don't want to share this with everybody because I like it. It's mine, right? And through thinking about it, I was like, no, nah, I got to talk about this. This, this psalm is, is, is like these songs times 100. It is the soundtrack of my life. It's so, so important to me. And I want us to look at it today. And I hope that this will become nostalgic for you. It'll become something that's in your head and that these verses will reverberate through your mind as you're going through the hard times that it talks about, as you're thinking about what the trajectory of your life needs to be and what God has called you to do. So today, I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to the greatest psalm in the entire book, Psalm 37. We're just going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. It's broken up into four sections. So all we're going to do is look at the first section, Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. Uh, before we get into what it says, I want to explain to you the structure of it uh, because it's really cool. It's really artistic in how King David wrote this. Uh, first of all, it's a wisdom psalm, like Steve talked about last week with Psalm 1. It's a lot like Proverbs, to be honest. Very proverbial couplets about pithy, short proverbs about how to live your life 
for the Lord. It makes sense because David was the dad of Solomon, and Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs, right? And so you see David kind of developing this and then Solomon following through with it when he writes the book of Proverbs. It's also um, an acrostic, so I want to show you this. You can't see it in English, but it's an acrostic. So there's 22 sections in this psalm, and there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And each section starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet going through successively, right? So just so you can see it, uh, verses 1 and 2 start with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It looks like an X. It's called an Aleph. Do not starts with that letter. And then the next section starts with trust in the Lord, and that starts with the Bet, the B. Then the next one, five through six, starts with the gimel and on and on. The dalit starts verse seven, the hate starts verses eight, and the vav starts verse 10. And so it's really neat to see how David is creating this to be something you remember. It's the ABCs. It's easy to remember if you speak Hebrew because you can just walk through the ABCs and everyone knows that. It's something that you're supposed to remember. It's not something that we're just supposed to read once or hear on a Father's Day sermon and then move on with. This, this is supposed to become the soundtrack of our life. This is supposed to become the things we think about and ponder as we're lying in our bed at night, like David said, or as we're walking along the way, like Moses said. This is supposed to become a part of who we are and something that the Holy Spirit can use in us to push us towards living the way that God's called us to it's also interesting to notice, if you're in Psalm 37, uh, look over at verse 25. David says, I have been young and now I am old. See that? David wrote this at the end of his life. This is proverbial fatherly wisdom from an old King David. It's something that we'll see he passed on to his kids, but it's something that he also wants to pass on to us, his spiritual kids. It's something that he wants us to know. And I I always think when people are older and they've got experiences and they've got perspective and they've got wisdom, it's really great to hear what's important to them because it's probably a big deal. And so today, as as we look into this, let's see what old man kingly advice David has for us on how we're to live and how we're to trust God in all circumstances. So the first section... The Aleph section, verses 1 and 2, starts off, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. This, this verb he starts with, the do not fret, it's literally meaning don't get heated. Isn't that good? Don't get all hot and bothered. Don't boil over with anger. Don't get heated because of evildoers. Don't be envious towards the wrongdoers. So I was thinking about that word envious, and it was really interesting because I don't be envious is kind of a weird instruction. Why am I envious of a wrongdoer? I like want justice for them. I want them to get in trouble, right? But what do they have that I'm envious of? I was thinking about it a lot this week. And isn't the reason that we get envious of evildoers because they get away with it? Isn't that what it is? 
I'm over here and I'm trying to live my life and I'm trying to do what God wants me to do and uh, all the world and its troubles are against me and all of culture is pushing me and it's the month of June, I don't know if you've noticed, but every single organization out there is celebrating something that goes completely against what God's word says and we're surrounded by this. It's all over. And I'm trying to live my life, and it seems like everybody in Washington's getting away with wicked schemes and doing whatever they want. God, this isn't just. And old man King David says, don't get heated about it, and don't be envious towards evildoers. Why? Because they're going to wither like grass, and they're going to fade like the green herb. How is your grass doing, by the way? (laughs) not so great, right? I'm watering my grass like a million times a day and it's struggling because it's summer and it's hot. In King David's time, they would have lush springs and everything would bloom and then the summer desert heat would come and everything would wither up. And he's saying, it's a waste of your time to get heated and agitated because of the evildoer because they're not even going to be here tomorrow. They're going to fade away like dried grass. They're going to fade away like the green herb. I was thinking about this. You know, we've seen this happen actually in our life. I was trying to think through some of the biggest evildoers of the past hundred years, and it's a long list. But all of us would agree Adolf Hitler was pretty terrible. Where is he? Well, he's not around. Where's the Third Reich? It's withered. It's gone. That was a huge deal, right? That was a huge, huge deal. And it's gone. It hasn't even been 100 years. It's gone. Bernie Madoff, you guys remember him? Evil, stealing money from people in order to pad his own pockets. Where is he? Where is Enron? Gone. Jeffrey Epstein, a man who literally was profiting off of heinous wickedness. Where is he? He's faded. He's withered. He's not around anymore. And King David's trying to tell us, listen, there's this stuff that happens in our present, and there's these evildoers around, and yes, they are prospering, and it doesn't seem like God's doing anything about it. Don't get envious of that, and don't get heated about it, because it's not even going to be there tomorrow. If you look towards the future, they're not even going to be around, and so the things that we get so upset about today aren't even going to be around for us to be upset about tomorrow. And I don't know about you, but there's nights where I'm sitting at, not sitting, I'm standing in the kitchen and I'm doing dishes. And I'll start to think about something that's agitating me. I'll start to think about somebody that I'm mad at. And I have um, fake arguments in my head with them. Do you guys do this? And I always win the arguments I manufacture in my head. (laughs) It's really great. I'm I'm 300,000 to zero. I win every time. And I sit there and I think, oh, they're going to say this. And you know what? I'm going to come back. And I'm going to say this. I'm really going to get them. And I'm going to show. And I just, I'm fuming. For what? What a waste of your life. What a waste of my life. And, and, and and, And David, King David says, we're not supposed to do that. Don't fret because of the evildoer. Don't get heated because they're not going to be here tomorrow. This was an important thing to King David, uh, and we know that he instilled this in his children. One of the reasons we know that is because Solomon writes this in Proverbs 24, 19 through 20. 
do not fret because of evildoers. Does that sound familiar? Exactly the same. Or be envious of the wicked, for there will be no future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. King David thought this is important, old man, proverbial wisdom to pass on to my kids. To write in this book, God wants to pass it on to us. We need to know this because this is something that really can destroy us and harm our lives and hurt us. It's not enough, though, to be told what not to do. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried, you know, diet, exercise, reading more, watching less TV, whatever. We, we try to do these things. It's never enough to just focus on what you're not supposed to do, right? Because if you're, if you're just focused on, I'm not going to eat 16 bags of potato chips tonight, all you're thinking about is potato chips, right? It's not good and it doesn't work. What we need to do is we need to replace what we're not supposed to do with something we are supposed to do. And King David knows that. Look at what he says in the next section, the bait section. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Instead of getting heated over the evildoer, we're supposed to trust in the Lord and do good. I love this. It says, and do good. And it doesn't say, do good, and you will flourish, and you will produce, and there will be so much good that ripples from your good. It doesn't tell you that. Because you might do good, and it might not amount to anything except you being obedient. It might not have an impact other than you being faithful to the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. But when I'm focused on the evildoer, I don't want to do good because I feel like giving up. I feel like, what does it matter? I feel like all this is for nothing. I can't control all of these situations that are going on. So Lord, really, what am I supposed to be doing here? The Apostle Paul in Galatians, he actually wrote about that. And he said, don't grow weary in doing good. You remember that? Don't grow weary in doing good. And he had to warn us against it because it's really possible for us to do. It's easy to get weary in doing good. The Apostle Paul, King David, they want us to both know that's what you're supposed to do. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. I thought about this dwell in the land thing. And isn't it true that wherever you are, you're dwelling in that land? <laughs> like, so this is a pretty easy one to follow, right? Well, that isn't what he means by it. Uh, at this time, God had given Israel the land that he'd promised to Abraham. They were there. They'd already come out of Egypt. They'd crossed the Jordan. They'd conquered under Joshua. And now they were there. And each tribe had their own spot. But when there's evil happening around you, you know one of the tendencies that all of us have is to leave. I'm sick of it. I'm out of here. This job is too much. This neighborhood is too crazy. This country is getting insane. And we think that by changing our circumstances, we're going to not encounter the evildoer. And that is just false. Have you ever thought about how, if I'm in charge, if only I were in charge of counting the votes in Maricopa County, if only I were in charge of how things are going on in the country, if only I was the boss, right? We all have these thoughts. I would do it the right way. Here's the thing. King David is the king. He's in charge of everything, it's not a democracy there either, right? I mean, he's in charge. And he's still encountering the evildoer. Isn't that odd? You can't get away from it. And 
although we think by abandoning and changing our circumstance, it's going to keep us from the evildoer. No, there's going to be evildoers over there too. There's going to be people in that job. There's going to be people in that neighborhood. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Don't abandon where God's placed you. Your job is to do good. Your job is to cultivate faithfulness in your life and probably in the lives of others. You see, it doesn't tell us who we're to cultivate faithfulness in because it's probably everyone, ourselves and others. And when I'm at the sink washing dishes and fuming about situations, the thoughts go through my mind. Well, you know what I should do is I should move. You know what I should do is I should just get out of this situation. I should stop doing this, doing that, whatever. You know what I should, you know, if I was in charge of these things, I would, and I get heated. And the Lord says, no, how are you cultivating faithfulness to me in your life? And he goes on to tell us how. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This word delight, it means uh, to be brought up in luxury. Uh, it means to be pampered. Pamper yourself in the Lord. Delight in that, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not be envious of all of the profiting that the evildoer is getting. Don't look at Jeffrey Epstein and all of his private jets and the man owned islands. I mean, that's unbelievable, right? You don't look to that and say, he's prospering by doing all this wickedness. No, you delight in the Lord. You're satisfied in him and your relationship you have with him, and he's going to bring along the desires of your heart. He's going to fulfill that. You don't need to go out and get it on your own. Your job and my job is to delight in him. And I, I think out of all the verses we're going to look at today, verse 4 has been a guiding light to my life. It is the nostalgic song that has come up over and over and over again for me. In my marriage, prior to getting married to Kelly, decisions having to be made, this is just such a beautiful verse because our job is to delight in the Lord. And he is going to do what he wants with it. My job is not to fix my circumstances. It's to delight in the Lord. I think so often um, many of us have buyed into, I call it the theology of Disney. But there's only one person out there for you to marry. You remember that? Snow White. You guys watch that? You're one and only, they call it. Destined to be with. Soulmate. It's all a lie. The truth of it is, God gives us two rules on marriage. One, marry a believer. Two, don't have sex with them until you're married. It's really a wide open playbook when you think about it. There's just two rules. When I was in college, there was probably 20 or 30 girls that I could meet this qualification with, right? That loved the Lord, that I kind of liked, and that we weren't going to do anything before we got married. I had options. All of you had options. There's a lot of different people, and yet... I actually chose my wife because I liked her the best. Isn't that better than, I guess I'm just destined to be married to you? No, I had options and I picked you. That's better. That's the real world, right? But so many of us fall into this idea of, oh my gosh, where am I going to go to college? Oh my gosh, who am I going to marry? Oh man, what about this job? What about that job? What about that? Here's the deal. God cares more that you're delighting in him than where you go to college, than what your vocation is. Now, he knows what it's going to be, but this, this life is not a divine scavenger hunt where we got to figure out each and every step or we're outside of the will of God. No. 
If that were true, then the one idiot who married the person he wasn't supposed to screwed it up for the rest of us, right? You see, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And when you're making decisions, when you're thinking about life, this, I'm telling you, your job is to delight yourself in the Lord. And he's going to bring on the desires of your heart. We talked a few weeks ago about he who is able to do abundantly more than we could ever think or ask. And yet we're over here getting heated, trying to make our situation better and stewing about the evildoer. And he says, no, your job's to delight in me. Delight in me. The next section, the Gimel section. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. This verb for commit your way, it literally says roll your burden onto. That's what it means, to roll your burden onto the Lord. Roll it onto him and trust him that he's going to take care of it, that he will do it. Instead of fuming about the situation, you throw that onto God. You roll it onto him and he handles it. And you trust him that he can handle it. Because our temptation is to say, I'm rolling it onto you today. And then an hour later, the thought comes into our mind and I take it back and I roll it onto myself, right? But he says, no, that's not how it works. Jesus actually taught his disciples this principle. We know that because 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter tells us, cast all of your anxiety on the Lord because he cares for you. Jesus literally taught this in Matthew 11. He said, come unto me, all who are weary and what? Heavy burdened, right? Heavy burdened. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. King David tells us, roll your burden onto the Lord and trust that he's going to take care of it. And then the best part, verse 6, you will have vindication. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. People are going to know that you did it the right way. You might think, I'm over here, nobody even notices, I feel like God doesn't even care, and all this wickedness is prospering around me, but I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. What's all this for? Well, there is a day coming where you'll be vindicated, where people will know that you did it the right way. When so much of your culture was turning its back on God, when so many progressive churches were changing God's word to fit cultural fads, you said, no, I'm trusting in this, and I'm not going to waver. And even if it gets me a life that's hard, even if I lose my job, even if people call me names or are mad at me, persecute, whatever, I don't care. Because there's a day coming when my righteousness will be brought to light. And God will tell everybody and show everybody they did it the right way. And he'll show everybody else they did it the wrong way. He will make your righteousness as the light and bring forth your judgment as the noonday. Vindication is coming. Isn't that comforting? We need to look to the future. We need to think about the long term, not just our present circumstances. In the next section, the Dalit section, David starts it off with rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And this word rest, it doesn't, when I think of rest, I think of like taking a nap sleeping. It's not that kind of rest. It doesn't mean take a break. It means to silently wait, to be still. It's an active waiting. It's not taking a day off. It's being content with being quiet 
and allowing God to handle things because you've rolled your burden onto him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And this is the tough part. Patience is something all of us are really terrible at. And I think as we get older, we get good at masking it, but I don't think we're very good at it. Um, My four-year-old daughter is not good at patience. Uh, Every single day, I'm not exaggerating, she asks, when can we watch shows? I want to watch TV. And I say, Elsie, it's the same as every other day. We don't watch TV until after lunch. And do you know what her reaction is every day? Oh, my God. Dad, this is so hard. Come on, why? I say, it's 11 o'clock. We're going to eat in an hour. Like, you just have to wait an hour. Like, what? Be patient. And then the craziest thing to me is how impatient I am with her impatience. (laughs) Isn't that terrible? If you just grow up. Well, it's the same over here. But we're supposed to be silent and wait patiently for him, knowing that our dad's going to handle it, that he is going to take care of this eventually. And then look at what David says next. He repeats the, the first verse. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. He knows that's a theme we need to keep telling ourselves. This is a good song. It repeats the good lyrics of the song. This is what he wants to get into your mind that rolls around in there because you're going to do this and you need to hear, don't fret, don't get heated, don't allow this poison into your life. Don't fret because of the evildoer. Wait patiently and rest in the Lord. The hay section starts with cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. And this is so true. If, if, we let, if we let the heat build up so much in our life, the anger fester, it eventually pushes us to a bad action. We blow up at somebody, we, we scream at somebody, we do something rash, like move out of our neighborhood because the mariachi music next door keeps going until 2 a.m. every night. Is that just me? No? Okay. Maybe. You do something crazy, and you let it fester, and the Lord says, no, just wait. Delight in me. Don't worry about all of this other stuff. And the truth of it is, sometimes it's not like huge, big, rash decisions or evil doing that I do to take vengeance into my own hands. Sometimes it's more subtle than that, to where I just waste 10 minutes doing dishes, fuming over something, and then I'm really short with my kids, and I'm just agitated with my wife. And it's just because I have been getting heated over things that I have no control over. Don't fret. It leads only to evil doing. It leads only to evil doing. And evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. And this is a really cool point that David's making. You remember that at this point in Israel's history, they're in the land, they've conquered God's broken it up for them, right? But he, he promised with, through Moses that once they're in the land, if they follow certain commands, he'll bless them. So if you follow me and you keep worshiping me, I am going to bless the land. If it stops raining, though, it's because you're not following me and I'm sending you a message. You need to follow me. And if you stop following me and it's a long time and you're not turning back after I send a bunch of prophets, I'm going to send in foreign armies to beat you down, <laughs> And that's a sign that you're not following me and you need to, right? There was this conditional covenant 
for dwelling in the land and having blessing. And David's speaking to the people that are doing it the right way, that are frustrated with those around them who aren't. Because they're saying, listen, God promised he'd cut these people off. He promised he'd do something about the evildoer, and I'm over here doing what's right. Why is God failing me? Where is he? He's not following through on the covenant he made with us. And so often we feel like that, right? Why is God waiting so long? Why doesn't he just put somebody in office that would, or put somebody in this position who would, or make my boss do, or why doesn't he, he's failing me. And David says, no, it's not true. If you wait, if you wait, you'll see that God is on the move, that he's still working, that he does fulfill his promises. And those who wait will inherit the land. Last section, the Vav section. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he won't be there. Isn't that great? You can go to Berlin today, and you could try to find Hitler and his power, and it's not even there. Man, that was a stronghold. That was the place. Where is he? It's gone. It's not there. Who owns Jeffrey Epstein's island now? Who, who's flying his private jets? Who, you can go to the, his place. He's not, he's not even there. The future for the wicked is nothing. And they're here today and they're, they're gone tomorrow. But we got to wait a little while and get our eyes focused on what's coming in the future, not so ingrained in what's happening in the present. And in verse 11, this is beautiful. But the humble, or the meek, will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. This is so cool because this is a verse that Jesus quotes in the Sermon on the Mount. So you're saying that Jesus plagiarized David? Yes, he did. Well, I guess Jesus inspired the whole thing, so he's plagiarizing himself, right? That's how it would work. But he did. He quotes this verse a thousand years later in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This was something that David was comforting the Israelites with in 1000 BC. This is something that Jesus was instructing and comforting the Israelites with 2,000 years ago. And it's something that's still comforting for us today. Not the braggadocious, not the arrogant, not the evildoer, not the schemer, not the embezzler will inherit the earth. The meek, the humble. And so often we think that we have to combat the world's wickedness with our own version of the very same tactics they're using. And we don't. Because it's the meek who will inherit the earth. And I love that Jesus thought to put this in the Sermon on the Mount. When he was crafting that sermon, that beautiful sermon, he thought, I want to I quote David in Psalm 3711. And the reason is because this was a theme of Jesus' life. This was a nostalgic song to him. This was something that he had thought about because this literally comes from one of his fathers. He's related to David. He knows his proverbial wisdom for his descendants. Jesus is one of those descendants. And spiritually, we're one of Jesus' descendants. And he quotes this. So how are we at being humble and meek? How are we at trusting that the Lord's going to handle it? How are we at rolling our burdens onto him? And letting him handle the anxiety and stress while we delight in the relationship we have with him. 
I think there are three things that we can really learn from this section of Psalm 37. And the first is that we need to focus on the future, right? If all I'm doing is focusing on current events, I don't know how I can avoid anxiety, to be honest. And I'll tell you something. Um, The biggest agitators in our life of getting heated are CNN and Fox News. They just are. And if that is the steady diet that you're infusing your life with, you need to change. You need to delight yourself in the Lord. Now, we don't need to bury our heads in the sand. We don't need to not know what's going on. We need to know what's going on. But we can't be so infiltrated with this anger and angst about this side or that side that we let hatred fester up in us. Especially when, honestly, I personally can't do much about all that. But what I can do is I can delight in the Lord, and I know my dad can do a lot about it. And he can handle it. Our dad has already won. Our dad is bigger than any government. Our dad is stronger. Our dad knows more. He knows what's going to happen in the future. And we need to focus on that. The evildoer may seem really powerful today, but they're going to blow away and wither like grass. They're going to fade like the green herb. But the righteous will stand with God forever. The righteous will inherit. The meek will inherit. Future-focused, not so presently consumed. The second thing is that we need to focus on the Lord. Do you know how many times there are commands to do something in the Lord? Trust in the Lord. Roll your burden onto the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Instead of focusing on the evildoer, we need to turn our focus onto the Lord. That's what we need to be filling our time. That's what we need to be filling our mind with. Focusing on who he is and the relationship we have with him and resting, knowing that he's going to handle it. And then the last thing is that we, we need to focus on our work. We're supposed to do good. We're supposed to cultivate faithfulness. We're supposed to dwell in the land. Did you see those commands? We have something to do. And again, we want to give up sometimes when, when there's any type of pushback. It's like, oh, what's all this for? Let's just give up. That is the human condition. And King David reminds us, no, you have something to do while you're surrounded by the evildoer. You can't abandon it. What you can do is delight in the Lord and get to work. Do what he has called you to do. We aren't a people that let our circumstances dictate our joy. We live in a culture where joy is contingent on circumstance. And if a law doesn't reflect how I want to live my lifestyle, I throw a fit until it gets changed. And if this store is part of the you know, society that's keeping me down, I throw a brick through it. And I throw fits because I am not waiting on anybody to fix my circumstance. I'm just going to scream and yell to fix it. That's not who we as Christians are supposed to be. Because it's the humble who will inherit the land. Not those who go out and take it by force and anger. We are to be a people who are resolved in our relationship with God. And our joy can't have any competition Our joy can't be taken away by the greatest sorrow. Our joy can't be enhanced by the greatest pleasure. We are to be people that are so resolved in who we are in Christ that joy is unfading regardless of what's happening around us, regardless of the evildoer. 
This is the stability that Jesus brings. You, you remember the New Testament says, don't get blown around by every wave of doctrine. Don't get blown around by every fad that comes in culturally. So many churches are doing that, and so many Christians are bending their convictions about what the Bible says in order to fit current cultural fads. And we aren't supposed to do that. We need to stand strong, like King David is instructing us, like Jesus is instructing us, to be the people he's called us to be, in the land he's placed us in, doing the work he's called us to do, and actively waiting for our dad to come and set things straight.